0: Well, good morning. Um, If all's going well right now, Allison and I are on an airplane um, on our way to Denver so that we can get down to Phoenix for the last of our leader care retreats that we've been doing with a handful of other LCMC pastors around the country. So hopefully that's all going well. Uh So Allison and I are kind of tag teaming the sermon today. So I'm going to intro and recap a little bit what we've done. She's going to talk about covenants um, and then I'm going to talk about the gospels. So Remember, we're in this series, uh, The Old, The New, The You. We're talking about God's authority in Scripture and how our lives um, are called to come under God's authority as it is revealed in Scriptures. Um, It's not about us, again, taking God's Word and the Scriptures and making it say what we want it to say. It's about us recognizing that there is one God who loves us, um, and He is big enough to communicate His will, His desires, His love for us through the pages of Scripture, and that we are called to be like Christ as Christians. Um, And what better way to know what that means than to know the truth, than to know God's word, dig into it and humbly submit to God's authority in the scriptures. So we've covered some main themes, some big ones. We talked about creation and God's plan for, for nature and creation and humanity, God's design, the way God intended things to be before sin. We talked about sin, we talked about the fall and how sin entered the world. We talked about the law and the importance it plays as God brings clarity to what is right and wrong. He brings clarity to what uh, what works against the abundant life he created us for uh, and what works for it. And we talked about monotheism, this belief that there is one true God, creator of the universe, uh, that is consistently applied in the Old Testament and in the New Testament and in the church today. Uh, there are many things that tempt us to treat them as gods there are other powers masquerading as gods in this world Uh, but there is one true god Uh, the israelites believed it adam and eve believed it jesus believed it the early church believed it and so we want to submit to god's authority in scriptures and and uphold that belief today as well and then we talked last week about babylon and the struggles that israel and god's people had with babylon and sin Uh, babylon confusing uh, all of the good stuff that God had given them, all of the good teachings God had given them, and the directions God had given them, and the, the history of God delivering them from Egypt and delivering them time and time again, even in miraculous ways, all of that was confused and lost in Babylon, except for a few faithful people um, who stayed true to God. We learned about Babylon because Babylon, the spirit of Babylon, is alive and well today. And a lot of the times where we see people being confused and led away from God and led astray, it's in the same ways that we saw that played out in the book of Daniel. I encourage you, if you've missed any sermons up to this point, uh, please go back. Uh, Please uh, listen to those, watch them on Facebook. We have them on our YouTube channel. Uh, We encourage you, uh, join with us in building this foundation because we're going to need this foundation as we tackle some more difficult things in the weeks to come. Uh, We're talking about two things today, covenant, um, God's consistent work through covenants and promises in the Old Testament. And then we're gonna talk about Jesus fulfilling those and the gospels. Uh, So I'm gonna turn it over to Allison and she's gonna walk you through covenants.
1: Well, good morning, church family. I hope you are all well this morning and staying warm. I hear it's pretty cold there in Iowa and Andrew and I are Staying warmer, I guess you could say, in Arizona. Um, I'm kind of having a little bit of spring fever these days. And if you're having spring fever as well, then um, don't feel guilty because I do too. Spring will come very soon. I want to begin our time this morning by asking you this question. Have you ever been betrayed? Have you ever experienced betrayal, maybe from a friend, a family member, a spouse. I remember feeling really betrayed by a friend of mine, a good friend of mine, who chose not to come to my wedding. And all these years later, I still feel the hurt. I still feel the anger for her choosing not to come to my wedding. And if you've ever been betrayed, then I'm sure that you experienced those feelings as well. Uh, Those feelings of anger or sadness, grief, maybe loss of friendship or distance between that person, um, a loss of trust in that relationship. Well, there is someone that I know who has experienced the ultimate betrayal, and that is our God, our Creator, our Father. As we've established from our other sermons, that we live in a world where we desperately need a savior. And it all goes back to our time um, when Adam and Eve were created in the perfect garden with our lord walking with him living with him and then chose to listen to the voice of the enemy and eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil break his commands and that then separates them from god betrays god um, breaks that relationship with him and This is the ultimate betrayal from God because these are the people who He loved, who He created to be in relationship with, and that He longed to be with. And this betrayal separates them from that relationship. And as we read throughout the Old Testament, we see these constant cycles of God's people choosing to betray Him, to disobey Him, to rebel against him, to choose to live in sin instead of living in right relationship with God. And as you keep reading through Genesis and Exodus, all the way through the prophets of the Old Testament, um, we continue to see this vicious cycle just going and going and going and even today we still feel that longing of needing a savior. And then we see periods of time in the Old Testament where people do choose to follow and choose to obey him and serve him. But then they fall back into the patterns of sin and idolatry and then even becoming enslaved by the things of this world. But what's important to know is that our God is a God that does not give up on us. Um, He makes a way every time to free his people, to save them, and to ultimately save us and bring all of us back into a place of deliverance where we are back in right relationship with god and the way that he does that is by establishing covenants now a covenant is when god makes a promise to a person or a group of people and then that person or we make a commitment to enter into that partnership or that agreement in order to accomplish something and so covenant with god then is him pursuing us for a relationship with Him, and then us faithfully keeping His commands and worshiping Him and being obedient obedient to Him so that we can be in right relationship with Him. So I'm curious, have you ever looked at things from God's perspective? That since sin entered the world, the God who is the creator, lover, father, compassionate, kind, caring, the list could go on. Um, God, um, he has endured betrayal and separation from the people he loved and he created, um, who then chose to not worship him, to choose in their, to live in their own pride, their own control, their own sinfulness. And God's response wasn't to distance himself, wasn't to fight, flight, or flee, but instead to pursue us to pursue his relationship with us and his people. As I said earlier, when sin entered the world um, with Adam and Eve, this constant cycle of sin um, began. And yet our God doesn't give up on us. Instead, he pursues us constantly in order to bring about restored relationship. And it's like his rescue plan it becomes to be comes to be at work through the promises that he makes um, Despite our sinfulness, despite us turning away from God. And so I want to walk through, breeze by all of these covenants that God makes throughout the Old Testament, Um, just briefly. um, I encourage you if you would like to go back and read these throughout Genesis and Exodus and all throughout the Old Testament, um, you certainly can. Um, But first I want to point out to you that our God is so good and so gracious throughout all of his covenants and all of his promises that he makes because they come from a place of grace. Because he chooses people who are ordinary people just like you and me, um, sinners, um, people who um, uh, just aren't brought up to this certain level but instead are just like ordinary people like you and me in order to carry out his covenants. They're unlikely leaders, I would say. So first we see Noah in Genesis 6. And it the world has fallen into wickedness from the time of Adam and Eve, and now God regrets making humankind and decides that he is going to start over and he does that with Noah. Now, a lot of times when you look in Genesis 6, it It's written that Noah is somehow this perfect, righteous, blameless man. And though he is described that way, we need to remember that he is not perfect. He is also a sinner. Yet, prior to that passage, it says that God showed favor to Noah, which means that he showed grace to Noah because he saw something in him was faithful and knew that Noah would be the right person to be obedient to his commands, to carry out his rescue plan. And so God asks, or no, he doesn't ask. He tells Noah, you are going to build me an ark and you are going to put your family on this ark and this is how I'm going to save you. And I'm going to wipe away the wickedness of the world and start over. And so Noah is faithful to this and he does just that. And then at the end, of all of that, God makes a covenant, a promise to Noah saying that never again will the whole earth be destroyed by a flood. And he does this by placing a rainbow in the sky. It's a sign of his covenant and his promise to Noah that this will never happen, happen again. And so every time we look up in the sky and see a rainbow or see the colors of the rainbow, we can be reminded of God's promise, his faithfulness his rescue plan that was initiated through Noah to save humanity. So God initiates this rescue plan and then he gives the command to Noah and his family to be fruitful in number and increase in number, fill the earth, which sounds familiar because it's just like in Genesis when God commands um, the creatures on the world and Adam and Eve to be fruitful and increase in number. Well, unfortunately, God knows that sin is still in the world and his people are not always gonna be faithful to him. So he needs to continue his plan in order to break this cycle of sin and in order to bring back restored relationship with him. And so we come to Abram. Now, Abram, what you may not know is that he actually comes from a family of moon, pagan moon God worshipers. And so again, God is choosing an unlikely person to carry out his mission. And so Abram's father, Terah, was named after the moon god, Terah, which was a pagan god in the land of Ur, where Abram was from. And so we see God taking somebody who likely doesn't even know him or worship him and pulling him out of his family, telling him, leave your old way of life, come to this new land that I'm going to give you, leave behind your family, and through you, I'm going to raise up a nation. And Abram's name actually means multitude, which means God's rescue plan is that he is going to bring about generation after generation of people that he is going to bless and fill with the earth, with his goodness, and they will be his people. And he does this through Abram, giving him the name Abraham. And then we see just that happening. We see the generations happening with Isaac and then with Jacob, and then with the establishment of the people of Israel. And so God's covenant through Abraham is that he is going to carry out generation after generation of blessed people that will be called his. And that is where we come to Israel. And so Israel had been established, but then they become oppressed and enslaved by the Egyptians. If you've read the Exodus story, then you know this story that they become enslaved by the Egyptians. And so what does God do? again he doesn't flee and leave his people behind he pursues them and he pursues them through his covenant with them and keeping his promise to protect and save his people and restore relationship with them so he makes this rescue man- plan through Moses again someone who is a sinner he was a murderer and fleed um, Egypt in order to to leave behind that life and it's then that God shows up and says, Moses, I choose you. Though you feel like you are not good enough, I'm going to help you and you are going to save my people. And he does just that. He guides Moses through all of the plagues with Pharaoh and rescuing all of those enslaved Hebrews and taking them out of, um, of that land. And God then establishes laws with Moses. Um, and his people giving them the Ten Commandments. And Actually, if you read through Leviticus, there are 613 laws that are established to help bring restoration back into God's people, to help them leave their old way of life from Egypt and all that they've known for those years in Egypt to now being in a new place um, in re- right relationship with him. But, Unfortunately, Israel fell into a pattern of sin. Actually, immediately after Moses comes down from the mountain, after having this incredible experience with God and receiving the Ten Commandments and the laws written on stone tablets, the people of God are bowing down to an idol and saying, we waited too long. We're going to worship this God instead. And so God creates these laws. He sets up a sacrificial system so that Um, Through the sacrifice of animals and blood being shed, sin can be atoned for. And God makes a plan to save his people through his promises, through his covenant with Israel. So then Israel um, raises up a king. Actually, God chooses a king. And so we jump ahead to David. And David again was an ordinary little shepherd, someone who seems like a nobody, um, who was scrawny and yet somehow in the power of God, he takes down the giant Goliath and is is placed um, to in a place to be raised up to be a king over Israel. Um, and God, I mean, David wasn't perfect either. I mean, God used to be a leader over Israel, but David was an adulterer, a murderer, Um, but it was through David's line that God made this promise, this covenant, that a king, a future king, would come to re-establish relationship, right relationship with his people, to be the final atonement for sin, and fully restore God's relationship with humanity. And as we read in our Jeremiah passage today, Um, God used the prophet Jeremiah to say this to say that one day in the future God will present um, his people with someone who will erase all of their sins so do you see this pattern here this pattern of um, rebellion and betrayal with God's people yet God consistently pursuing his people developing covenants and promises with them and our God is so faithful because We come to Jesus in the New Testament, and it's in Jesus that all of those covenants, all of those promises are fulfilled, and we are put back into right relationship with God. And so Jesus is God born in the flesh, born in a humble way. He is the hands and feet of God, born to Joseph, a carpenter, to Mary, um, in a barn in Galilee, And he is raised up by God to be this perfect spotless lamb, this sacrifice to atone for all sin and put us back into right relationship with God. And this brings us back to the new covenant, which every time we take communion, we hear the new covenant spoken, which is Jesus saying, this is my blood that I pour out for you. This is my body that is broken for you. And it is through this sacrifice on the cross that, all sin will be atoned for and all communion all relationship with god will be made right again and it is through that that we enter into a restored relationship with god and um, it was through jesus's god, prom in god's promises his covenants, um, that were fulfilled that we are now forever clean in the eyes of god and we have a right relationship with him again and he lives with us through the power of his holy spirit and we have a future glory with him in eternal life so um, how amazing is it that our God all throughout the Old Testament is faithful to us and how does that change us how does that change our hearts and how we live today how we live ethically how we make our moral decisions and giving our whole life and trust to God knowing that he is faithful he is good it is us turning to him and saying we need you God and God saying, I've saved you, I have made you new, I have made you clean. This is Jesus. This is our God who loves you and who wants to be in relationship with you.
0: Thanks, Allison. Jesus is the fulfillment of those covenants. The King. God coming in the flesh to deliver his people. Uh, And so that leads us into the Gospels, and we're going to talk about the Gospels today. Uh, You you might know this, you might not. What is the gospel? The the word gospel literally means good news. It is good news, which means it is being proclaimed um, as better news than the reality that the world was in prior. And it is proclaimed as good news being one of redemption, salvation, deliverance from the evil. Um, There's a lot packed into the word gospel and good news. So the gospels are the first four books of the Old Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And they're called such because they were written for a very specific purpose uh, of communicating the good news about Jesus's life, death, and resurrection. Uh, We call them gospels not just uh, because they tell that story about Jesus, but but because they were crafted to communicate good news. It's almost a literary style in and of itself. All four of those gospels have a very Very intentional meaning to them a very intentional purpose Um, not just a historical account but a theological account saying that yes this man Jesus is the son of God let me tell you about the good news that he is bringing they were written with the intent that people would understand that Jesus is God the son of God the Messiah the Savior the one Israel had been waiting for and all of that goes up with this right these are theological documents. The Gospels are through and through their books of joy, their books of belief, their books of truth, and their books of mission as they point to Jesus as the promised Messiah from Israel, as the Savior, not just of the Jews, but for many. That's what the Gospels are. Um, they are not, they're not just historical records. They're not just historical accounts. They are very intentionally crafted to communicate this good news. There's a Bible verse that many of you heard that really encapsulates the gospel message well, and that is John 3:16 and 17. It says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So Jesus is God in the flesh, showing love, showing the heart of the Father, showing The grace and the mercy of God in the flesh right and his sacrifice his sacrifice on the cross his death and his resurrection make the way for those who believe to experience eternal life and this is a life that begins today not when we die right the eternal life that we get to exist in as followers of Jesus even though we're still in a broken world um, that begins when we know Jesus. That begins when we experience his presence through the Holy Spirit. And that's something that we want to grow into uh, and increase our experience of throughout life. And often with John 3:16, we forget to read 17, right? But 17 is really important too. God did not send his son into, con- into the world to condemn it, but to save it. Many people have this vengeful view of God Who brings condemnation and shame and punishment upon people that is not what Jesus came to do God who had authority and power to pass judgment finally on the world that's not what he did in the Gospels even though he could have and it would have been just instead he acts in grace through Jesus Christ it's really important the Gospels are not the message of another worldly ruler taking over by force Um, and enlisting everyone else in a different sort of empire or dominion on earth. Uh, That's what these people were used to, generation after generation. This is something different, it is bigger, it is God-sized, it is about freedom. So let's talk a little bit about the gospel. Uh, The gospels talk about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven a lot. And we've had some sermon series about the kingdom of God, and I wanna brush on that and point to a few things that the kingdom brings. And point to a few responses that Jesus's disciples and by extension us uh, should consider how we respond to the gospel how we live accordingly to the gospel and the coming kingdom of God so I have our Matthew 4 text today starting at Matthew 4:18. while walking by the Sea of Galilee Jesus saw two brothers Simon who was called Peter and Andrew his brother casting a net into the sea for they were fishermen And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James and John, or James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father. They were mending their nets. And he called them. And immediately they left the boat and their father, and they followed Jesus. They followed him. So what does this say about the gospel, this first little chunk? The gospel is a call from Jesus it is a call from Jesus from our old life to our new life from a life that is defined by the sin and the brokenness of the world the gospel calls us to a life that is defined by Jesus Christ by his grace by his forgiveness and by a relationship with God, a restored relationship with God. So the gospel is not the good news so that we can stay where we are. That is not God's love. Um, Sometimes we've had people or loved ones in our lives, right? Think of somebody who you really, really invited to have a better life or a better experience in that moment, and they chose to stay where they were at, uh, living in the suffering or the sorrow or the pain. Um, C.S. Lewis writes about that, you know the child who is content to sit in a mud puddle making mud pies because they don't understand what comes with a holiday at the sea at the beach at the ocean Uh, there's a beauty to be held in the gospel and jesus calls us out of the old life into the new life he says come follow me so picking up in verse 23 jesus went throughout all galilee teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom there's the kingdom And healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. So what does the coming kingdom of God do? So Jesus talks about the gospel of the kingdom. What, what does the kingdom do? The kingdom is God's reign and reality, God's goodness breaking into the earth because God's kingdom exists where God is, right? But we also have this broken, sinful world. So Jesus's life, death, and resurrection was that kingdom breaking in through the Son of God, through Jesus Christ, to show a different way, to show God's love and mercy. And what goes along with the kingdom? Well, there's healing, There's forgiveness, there's peace, there's casting out of demons. There's many things that we see Jesus do and that his disciples do them as well. That is the coming kingdom of God. There are characteristics of it, there's signs of that. There is a, a release from bondage where there was bondage. There is a forgiveness of sin where there was bondage to sin. The gospel is of the breaking in kingdom of God. And that kingdom is one of heals, miracles, restoration, and so forth. We see it all throughout the pages of the New Testament. Now, who is the king? A kingdom has a king, right? The king is Jesus. The king is Jesus. He is the king. And if we're honest with ourselves, there are parts of our lives, there are areas of our lives uh, where we desire to be kings or queens and hold back some of the authority that God has asked us to give him in our lives, right? And we might even think the kingdom of God is inconvenient because it challenges our own desires, it might challenge our own plans. Uh, but we we're going to have a king, right? we're going to have a king and if we think it's us if we think we are the lord of our lives if we think that we are kings of our lives or queens or rulers of our lives we're going to be let down because there's there's two powers that we can live under the authority of the, the power of sin and darkness which is ruled by the evil one and the power of Jesus the king, the son of God the one true God We cannot be king of this world because Satan is. (laughs) We cannot be king of our own lives because in doing so we reject um, God's design for creation. We reject his gospel and the forgiveness and grace that comes through Jesus Christ. So I want us to be thinking about that throughout this series, right? Um, And if Jesus is not our king, the evil one is, there's there's not really another way to take scriptures here, right? And we don't want Satan to be lord of our lives, right? So for a Christian, that gives a pretty, pretty clear imperative. Uh, the kingdom of God, the gospel, as we respond to it, we wanna find all of those areas of our lives that we want to hold on to and, and retain authority over, right? We wanna take all those things that we've decided, this is how it is and I'm never gonna change, or all of those things, this is what I believe and I don't care what the Bible says. Um, we wanna take all of those things and submit them to God's authority as revealed in scriptures And it's displayed through the love of Jesus Christ. Jesus is king. He has the power and he has the authority to bring all of the goodness and all of the life that we desire, that we were created to desire here on this earth. And he has the authority to deal with our sin and death. So if you have those areas in your lives, um, we all do, every single one of us, me included. We have those areas where we want to be in control rather than surrender to the Lordship Of Jesus Christ but friends Jesus is Lord he is King and if we're not serving him we're serving the other one and we don't want to go there right so think about that the kingdom of God is not the only kingdom we experience because it is not Jesus is not the only active ruler and authority of this earth right we live in an in-between time uh, the two-kingdom theology if you've ever heard it put that way we live in this time where sin still has power Uh, sin and darkness still exist on this earth, this brokenness. But, and this is a big one, the authority of the enemy, the authority of Satan, the evil one, the authority of the kingdom of sin and darkness, the authority of the spirit of Babylon has been stripped through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. There was a time where the evil one operated in that authority. That time ended when Jesus died for our sins and was raised from the dead, conquering the sin and death. You see what Jesus did there. So there is still sin and brokenness, yes, absolutely. We all see that, we all understand it, we all experience that. But there's also abundant life to be had in Christ Jesus at the same time. And friends, this is good news. This is really good news. This is the gospel, because it brings hope, it brings peace, it brings truth, it brings healing, and it brings love into this world, the love of God not the love that we try to define or make up or emulate, but the actual love of the one true God who loves us, who created us, who knit us together in our mother's wombs, who calls us fearfully and wonderfully made. So it is the good news for us that Jesus now has the authority and that the evil one has been stripped of his authority, but there's still power there. The evil one still has some power, but we know where that's going because Jesus tells us and reveals to us in Revelation what it's gonna look like when this eternal life is the only life, uh, when this reign of God is the only kingdom, when sin and death is dealt with finally, and I look forward to that day. So it's the good news, and this is also the mission of the church. This is the mission of the church, God's people, Jesus' body, Jesus is the head, we are the body, the body has many parts, they serve different purposes, but the mission is to participate. To participate in living out and sharing this good news and this gospel. That's what we will read in Acts and all throughout the New Testament. That's what the church is built on. It is not built on human structures or institutions. It is not built on control or power. It is built on the gospel and a complete surrendering to the Lordship, to the King Jesus. So I ask you today. Has the good news caused your life to be different? Has it caused your life to go on a better trajectory or a better direction? Has the gospel changed your motives? Has it changed your priorities in life? Has the gospel led you to get out of the boat? You know, those four disciples we heard called in Matthew 4, they had to get out of the boat, right? They listened to the great teacher. They listened to what he taught. They listened to the call that he placed on their life. And so I ask you, has the gospel, has the good news, has it changed you? Is it changing you as an ongoing process? I pray that it is, I hope that it is. And if you don't see that fruit in your life, um, then let's have a conversation. Let's dig into scriptures. Let's see how Jesus lives. Let's see what areas of our lives are not under the authority and the Lordship of Christ and let's do some work. Let's grow. Let's grow into the good news and out of the sin and the darkness. Because the gospel is more than just what's in the head, right? The gospel is more than a belief. It is meant to be lived out. It is meant to be acted on. And we're meant to be rooted in it, drawing our life, our purposes, our priorities from Jesus Christ himself. And that's the desire that we have for this church, I know many in leadership have that desire. I know many of you have that desire. Pastor Allison and myself, we have that desire. To understand that God's love has caused him to give his only son for you and me. That that's a life-changing reality that we embrace as followers of Jesus. And we want to see this church understand that believing in Jesus implies faith. It implies trust. It implies humility, not just in the really big things, but in the everyday life, in the little things too. And we want our church to understand that God is not here in the gospel to condemn you for your past. He's here to set you free. It is for freedom that we have been set free through Jesus Christ. He's out to save you, not condemn you, not pull you down, not keep you from good things but to give you better things. And that's the love that God has for you and the love that God has for me. And that's the gospel for us today, friends. So may this impact, it may it define our lives more and more each day. And I pray that our lives would ever be challenged and grown and changed to live under the authority of God as revealed in scriptures and as lived out through Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's embrace the gospel and the good news and let it transform us, friends. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are good. And we praise you for the good news. And we praise you that this kingdom of death and darkness um, that we see running rampant in our world, we, we praise you that the authority has been stripped through the name of Jesus Christ, through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I pray, Lord, if we're disheartened today, that we would see that, We would embrace that. We would understand um, that although this sin and darkness endures today, um, it no longer has the authority because Jesus has taken it back. And Jesus is on the throne, the king. And he wants not just to be the king um, of, of a church, but of every one of us, of our hearts, of our minds, of our whole selves. Lord, teach us what it means to embrace the gospel and to be changed by it. Teach us what it means to live and carry out the mission of the church that we live out the gospel and proclaim the gospel to those who are still in the bondage of sin and darkness. There's a better kingdom to live in, Lord. Would you lead us into it by your grace? We pray this in Jesus' name.